afternoon. Today's text is from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. This is Palm Sunday, and the story of Jesus entering Jerusalem to the praise of the people with the palm branches and the cloaks is one of the few stories that is found in all four Gospels. And today, we want to look at Matthew's account of that story, and we want to talk a little bit about what Palm Sunday um, is significant for and how it prepares us for next Sunday's Easter service. So with that in mind, let's look at Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now and ask that you would show yourself to us, that through your text, that we may see you, the humble king, the servant king, and in seeing you more clearly, that somehow we will be drawn closer to you. And Lord, help us this week to soften our hearts to your word. To that end, we ask that your spirit would speak to us and minister to us through the preaching of your word. Jesus, and we pray, amen. Just gonna look at the clock. All right. Um, let me just give some prefatory, uh, uh, preparatory remarks, some introductory remarks about today's passage. And as I mentioned this last week, there are two days in the Christian calendar in a year that almost Every Christian, regardless of tradition and background, most almost every Christian recognize and celebrate two days in the year, right? You know what those days are? Yeah, Christmas and Easter. It's okay, you can talk back, and uh, you, you won't get dinged if it's a wrong answer. It's all right. Christmas and Easter. Christmas and Easter are kind of the two pillar days of the, the Christian year. Um, Christmas we know much about, 
But Easter is one of those days where uh, Easter is probably the most sacred day for the Christian because we recognize that this is the day that the Lord rises, that God raises Jesus from the, uh, from the tomb, and it gives us um, hope. But, but as I mentioned last week, both of these days, we don't just enter into it as if we're just going to come on that day and receive all that God has for us. Because these two days are so meaningful, there are two seasons that prepare us to receive all that God has planned for us. And those two seasons are the season of Advent and the season of Lent. Okay? The reason I bring this up again is not so much to highlight the importance of Christian calendar, but to remind everyone of this very important principle. This is a truth that you really need to get deep into your bones if you want to follow Jesus. And if you want to know sort of the ways of God, this is something you really, really, really want to get soaked into your system. And that is... I want to move so much. Can I, can I move a little bit? Okay. Is sometimes we think that we can just come and get the Easter blessing. What is Easter about? What are some words that you associate with Easter? Just say them out loud. Resurrection. What else? Sacrifice. Anything else? Renewed. Okay, let's look at some imageries, right? What, what is Easter about? About hope, about new life, about resurrection. And for the believer, it's the, it's the promise of overcoming death, right? Death has lost its sting. Christ conquers death. The death is the final enemy which all of us will have to face. Believer, unbeliever alike, it is the, the end road is where the road ends for all human beings is death. And Christ, through the resurrection, gives us hope beyond that, right? So God wants to give us resurrection hope. He wants you and I to live in resurrection life. Resurrection life isn't just meant for us when we die and all of a sudden we have this new life. And then we live out the resurrection life. The Bible makes it clear in the New Testament that this resurrection life that Jesus represents, he wants us to live right now in this day and age. Right now in our life, he wants us to live with that resurrection life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to live in the hope of Christ. This is what it means to live by the power of the Spirit, is to live in that resurrection life. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that everyone has to remember. You can't get to that without going through Good Friday. You can't get here without going through Passion Week. Right? This is so important. Samaj, are you going to get baptized soon? Awesome. All right. It's not about so much, okay? But when you get baptized, what is baptism? What, what happens in baptism? I'm talking about the full immersion type, okay? Even though we're Christian Reformed and I think sprinkling is wonderful. There's something kind of 
dramatic about reenacting sort of the, the full immersion baptism. What does Paul tell us baptism about? When you get baptized, you know, the pastor, whoever is baptizing you will cover your face and you will go under the water, okay? And then you come out, right? And then you're baptized. Baptism isn't just staying out of the water. Like, you don't just kind of go into the pool or wherever you're going to get baptized. You say, I'm baptized. Baptism, by symbolic nature, you're going under. What is that under part? Is you're dying with Christ. And it's only when you go under the water in death with Christ, when you come back up, what are you receiving? New life in Christ. So, Maja, this is what baptism means, right? So when you go under the water, it means that you are dying with Christ. And when you come up, you are receiving the new life that God has promised you. Isn't that beautiful? Right? But so many of us are wired to want this new life without this going under the death part. And I want you to be able to see and hear what God is saying to us through the story of the triumphal entry what it means for us to receive this offer of peace and life. That who is it that's offering to us? And the person that is offering it to us is a humble king. He is a servant king. And that's what I want you to be able to see. It's a simple story, but it's something that we need to really, really continually grasp. But to get to the Easter blessing of the resurrection life, we need to understand the passion and the suffering of Christ. And we're going to talk about that a little bit today in both this text and another text, which is part of the lectionary. The lectionary is kind of these readings that are set out uh, for Christians to follow through the year. And the lectionary reading for today includes a passage from Philippians, which we're going to show in a moment. But, you know, uh, how many of you have been to a parade? Parade? Okay, what, what parade have you guys all been to? Just name a few. Oh, Macy's Day Parade, okay, for all you uh, East Coasters. All right. Any other parade? Huh? Rose Parade. All right. Uh, West Coast Parade. Any others? Yeah, Disneyland Parade. All right. Anybody been to, like, a Lakers Championship Parade or a Dodgers Championship Parade? All right. Parades are neat. And parades are usually what? Celebratory, right? You celebrate. You celebrate the victory of your team winning the championship. You celebrate a new year. You celebrate the beauty of the roses. I don't know what Macy's Parade celebrating. I think it's Thanksgiving, right? You celebrate Thanksgiving, being thankful for another year of health and, and so forth. Parades are usually celebratory. And you know, we live in a country where we don't usually have a lot of military parades. Like, I, when's the last time you've been to a military parade? Not many of us. But military parades were also very common, right? And in the days of Jesus and following, many kings and emperors and conquerors would often enter into the city that they conquered in a triumphant kind of way. So we think of people like um, Octavian, the first Roman Emperor, August Caesar, Augustus Caesar. This is, the, this is the person who consolidated the Roman Empire and became the first sort of grand emperor, Augustus, right? He comes into Rome 
in BC 29, having conquered his enemies, and he comes in triumphantly. We think of Napoleon in 1810. He, he comes under the Arc de Triomphe, right, that he's building. He's commissioned to build it to celebrate his victories. And he's, they're coming in with all pomp and circumstance, riding on their stallions and horses. And that's what you would expect of someone coming into a city as a king, as a conqueror, as an emperor, as, as lord. And there's a reason why Jesus enters Jerusalem exactly the way he does. Because he wants you to know that the kingdom that he is offering is different than the kingdoms of this world. When you think of a triumphal entry, and a lot of Bible, modern Bible translations have the story. At the top of the story, they'll say the triumphal entry of Jesus. But really, it isn't a triumphal entry. What it is, is it's actually the beginning. It's the beginning. It's the, it's the first day of the week. It's the beginning of the lowest point of Jesus' life. Let me briefly share with you what I mean by that. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 11, which is the lectionary reading for today, one of the lectionary readings for today, Palm Sunday. It says, have this. I have a different version on my notes. I'm going to read it from up here. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here is the same point that I made earlier about the resurrection, about how God works. Once, once again, if you want to be fruitful in your Christian life, this is something you really need to understand about how God works. God often works in a parabola, parabola, okay? God often brings us to the point of lowness before he raises us up. Right? Anyone who's been through a difficult time and then felt God delivering him or herself out of that time will know what I'm talking about, right? So there is this divine parabola that defines Jesus' sort of redeeming work. The beginning is high. What does uh, Philippians tell us? That Jesus was who? Yes, that Jesus was God. The Bible tells us that all things were created through him, the living word. So here is Jesus eternally existing with God the Father in perfect uh, uh, harmony as a trinity, right? Here's Jesus, God Almighty, creator of all things, and then he does what? He does this very, he comes down to earth, and the parabola goes on a downward trajectory, and he comes out, and where is the nadir? Where is the bottom, the vertex of the parabola, according to this text? 
death on a cross, right? So he became obedient to even death on a cross. So this is a parable. He dies on the cross for our sins. And then what happens? God raises him and exalts him and gives him a name above every name. That at his name, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. So it is this parabola, right? So where is the story, today's triumphal entry, where is that in this parabola of Jesus' life and ministry? Where is it? Is it here? Is it here? Is it at the high points? No, it's right near the very bottom. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is near the very bottom. He is entering Jerusalem with suffering and death on the horizon. He knows that he is going to Jerusalem to give his life as a ransom for many. He is going to be that that seed that falls to the ground and dies so that it can bear fruit. He is going to set us free from sin and death. That's the horizon. So this triumphal victory isn't coming at the peak of Jesus' life. It's coming at a low point almost at the very bottom. And it is at this point that people are crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You have to understand, Jesus, for most of his public ministry, kept his identity a secret. He didn't want people knowing that he was the Messiah, the king. When people would confess that he is the Messiah, he would tell them, keep it secret. But now as he comes near the end of his earthly ministry, as he comes near the last week of his earthly life, he now proclaims publicly. He declares publicly through three things. And we're not reading all three today. We're reading the first of the three things that he does. He's basically now taking his mask off and saying, I am the Messiah. And he does this by what? By riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. It's not that Jesus all of a sudden got tired. Like, I've been walking these three years, and you know what I would really like? is to go this last couple of miles on a donkey. That's what I want. I want to ride in. No, he doesn't. What he is doing is he knows there's a prophecy that the Messiah would come on a donkey. Why? Why does it matter what the Messiah rides in on? Who cares? Why doesn't he just ride in on a horse or a chariot or something? Because a donkey represents humility and peace. Kings that came in as conquerors rode in on war horses and stallions. But those who came on a donkey comes in peace. And Zechariah 9.9 says, O daughter of Zion, your king comes humble, riding on a donkey. So Jesus takes a prophecy, and he fulfills a prophecy in himself, basically declaring, I am that king, but I come to you humbly. And then in the next four verses following what we just read, the very next thing he does after he enters Jerusalem is he's going to cleanse the temple in fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that the temple shall be a house of prayer for all nations. And then the last thing he does in verse 15, if you continue to read in Matthew 21, 21, is he heals the lame and the blind, once again fulfilling the messianic prophecies that the Messiah will come with healing in his wings. 
So Jesus is now declaring through his actions unequivocally that he is the Messiah and the King. But I want you to hear this. He's doing this as he faces the lowest point of his life, as he knows that within days he will suffer and die. Why is this important? It is important because this is the attitude that we need to have as his followers. Christianity, more than about power and victory, it is about this humble king who comes. It is the posture of a king who, though being God, gives his life as a ransom for many. So much of Christianity in the past so many years has been about triumphalism. And there are things we can rejoice about, victory over sin and death. But at the heart of Christianity is following a king who comes riding on a donkey. This is who you are signing up to follow not a triumphant king riding on a war horse or stallion, but a humble king riding in on a donkey. This world that we live in recognizes kingdom through power. Might makes right. Wealth brings happiness. The people who control the world are the few percent who own most things. The power of a country is measured by the army, right? By his GDP and, and his power. Jesus' kingdom is turning the other cheek, is loving your enemies. Is going that extra mile. Jesus turns the definition of greatness, success, achievement, happiness, he turns it all upside down on his head. This is the king you're signing up to follow. And in a world that is broken, in a world that is hurting, in a world that is weary, they don't need strutting power-hungry people. They need humble servants of a humble king. This is who we're signing up to follow. This is a king who doesn't lord it over us, but serves us and gives his life as a ransom for many. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that I'm going to end with this, and I want you to hear this. This is important. I'm going to expand on the theme a little bit because this is probably the most confusing thing about Christian life. I guess people kind of discouraged. You see, when the people said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is the son of David, right? Recognizing royalty that he's a king. They wanted a politically and militarily powerful Messiah, someone who would come and kick the Romans out. 
will deliver them, right? But they had a reason to think that. Because if you read the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah, this coming Savior, it talks about the Messiah in a way that gives the impression that the Messiah is going to, pardon my French, kick some butt. That he is going to rectify all the injustices in the world. That he is going to vindicate the people of God and their suffering. So they had every right to think that. And that day is often in the Old Testament. If you, if you ever get a chance to read some of the prophets in the Old Testament, they talk about that day. They call it the day of Yahweh, the day of the Lord. And they, they talk about it as if this day God is going to make all things right. Right? And so they had these expectations that when the Messiah comes, he would come in power and he would rectify the injustices. He would vindicate the people of God. So they weren't wrong expecting that. But here, God throws a curveball. And this is a curveball that we don't often understand. And it's that this day of the Lord, which most everyone thought would happen in one single incident, God begins to say, no, it's going to happen in two events. The two comings of Jesus is going to be bookended by the first advent, the first coming of Jesus, and the second coming of Jesus. And the first coming of Jesus is going to usher in the kingdom of God. It's going to begin the reign of God in this broken world. He's going to begin to restore this broken world with peace and forgiveness and love and grace and mercy. And he's going to secure it through his death and resurrection. But here's the thing. It's not going to be consummated until he comes again. Where are you and I in the story? We are smack dab in the middle of the two comings. Why is it important for us to know that? Because our mission is to proclaim the kingdom of God in this in-between season. Because this is where I want you to both get how the fear of the Lord come upon you, but also develop a sense of urgency and passion for the mission of the church. Because when that second coming comes, Christ will not return on a donkey. That second coming in apocalyptic language, remember this is a genre, apocalyptic language. Let me read you what Revelation 19.11 says, what that coming is going to look like. It says, then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen White and pure were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. 
on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the destiny of the second coming. And what Jesus is saying to us is, you don't want to encounter Jesus in that second coming as an enemy. Because at that day, he will right all that is wrong. See all the injustices. You hear about little children getting violated, or you hear about people brutally hurting others, or swindling people, or doing all kinds of evil. You hear about the atrocities in Ukraine, or Somalia, or other areas. You hear about all these injustices, and there's something in you that says, no more. God, come. On that day, he will come, and he will rectify all the injustices. He will establish his throne in righteousness and justice. And you don't want to be caught unprepared. Now he comes to us as a humble king, saying, I'm willing to give myself to you that you can be cleansed and you can find life and you can be an agent of grace because we are in between these two seasons. And there is a day coming, my friends, when, there will, when we will no longer see Christ as a lamb, but we'll see him as a lion. The question is, is how do we respond to him now? My plea with you is receive the love of God that is coming to you as you rise on a donkey with suffering and death on the horizon. And he comes and he gives his life. He pours out. If you read the passion narratives, Jesus is brutalized for you and for me. Why? So that we can have eternal life. So that when Christ returns in power, we are on the right side. Does that make sense? Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we want to rejoice. Next Sunday, we're going to start with Christ is risen. And what do you say? You say, he is risen indeed. It's been said for thousands of years. This is a Christian saying, right? We're going to celebrate there. But before we get there, we have to get through this week. And this week begins with the humble king. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we are both awed and grateful that you call us to be yours. That you don't lord over us, but you gently and lovingly come as a humble king, as a servant king. And you call our name and say, come. Come part of Come be part of this kingdom of grace and mercy and love. Lord, help us to hear that calling now. Because there will be one day when you will come and you will make all things right in power. Lord, help us to be on our knees and embrace you as Lord now as you shower us with your grace and mercy. We love you, Lord. We ask that you would prepare us this week to walk that road with you. That we may also 
receive the full blessings of Easter Sunday. In Jesus' name we pray.